I'm Toshi Regan. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown. And we'll introduce ourselves more fully in a minute. But here we just need to clarify that what you're about to hear was taped before the coronavirus pandemic and before the most recent popular uprisings against the police murder of Black people. From episode seven on, we'll be talking about the book explicitly in this current context. For these first few episodes, we talked about the work in the context of all the usual mess. So be it, see to it. (laughs) So be it, see to it. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Hello, Toshi. Hey, Adrian. So, my name is Adrian Marie Brown. My name is Toshi Regan. And we are about to get you into the very first episode. <laughs> Sorry. Like, what the heck is that sound? That's one of those bikes. It sounds like a little farty car. It's a, a bike with a motor on a it. A bike with a motor. All right. So the good news is we are sitting in my living room in Detroit, Michigan, um, where Toshi has come, traveled from far and we um, to, to sit with me. And we are going to be recording something that we are calling the Parables Podcast. And it is a podcast about the parable of the sower the Parable of the Talents, and probably The Parable of the Trickster by Octavia Butler. And we, um, I wanted us to start out by just telling a little bit about, like, who are we to do this particular podcast, right? If someone is listening to this from outer space and they've never heard of either of us, um, who are you, Toshi Reagan, and why, why The Parables podcast for you? Um, well, The Parables uh, podcast... Um, I think uh, it's such a, a righteous endeavor. Um, a lover of Octavia Butler, yeah, uh, all the novels, everything. Yes, and then in particular, um, the Parable series is. Uh, it's been really important to me, really important to my mom. I kind of live by it. Um, I have since I first first read the books, like in the nineties. Okay. Yeah. So you first read the books of the 90s. Yeah. And who were you in the 90s? Like, who was the Toshi that picked up this book the first time? Um, you know, just getting myself around the world, doing music okay. and, you know, finding my way. And I um, had read already read a bunch of Octavia's books. And then um, uh, my mom and I gave Parable of the Sower to each other for Christmas oh. one year. It was really I sweet. I love that. I know, so cool. Unplanned, just like accidentally. Oh, like, like we bought just... two. I bought one for Aww. myself and one for my mom. She <laughs> bought one for herself and one for me. Okay, and then we were both under cute. the tree, and we were just like, "Ha, ah, we got each other the same thing." That's really cute. Yeah, it was awesome. So good. So now we've got the Parable of the Sower Opera, which Toshi. It's been like ten years of generate, sort of building, generating, testing, playing with it. Mostly it's just been like, oh, we want to do it. And then it took like a bunch of time before we even got like, you know, someone who was interested. That was about 2008. Okay. And then that fell apart. And then it took till 2015. Wow. Um, In the middle, mom and I just went ahead and did the libretto and composed 
you know, the music. And then we were like, all right, you know, waiting for our team, so to speak. And um, and then it debuted in 2017, and it's just been making its way uh, around, well, not quite around the world, but we've, we've been a few places now. We've been a lot of places. Yeah. So, so I think that's good for a beginning of getting to know you, and then people will get to know you more as we talk about these texts. And I'm Adrian. So my name is Adrian Marie Brown. And I um, found Octavia's work in college. She actually came to speak at Columbia while I was there. And I am very grateful that I did not know then what I know now about the influence that she was going to have on my life. So I think I was able to be relatively normal fan level and not appalling. Um, (laughs) But she... um, her work really awakened in me an understanding of the world that has shaped almost everything else that I have done. Um, and I would say everything professionally that I'm doing in the world is is touched or shaped by her thinking. And particularly the parables and particularly the thread that runs through the parables of Earthseed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am a black Black movement facilitator is mainly the work that I have done that people have been like, we'll pay you for some work. And I've done a lot of it for not being paid, but just showing up of like, here's some work to do. And I love facilitation um, in part because I think that idea of having people sit down and be in conversation with each other is still such a radical act and where most transformation happens, like being in a well-held conversation that allows things to change and move. And uh, years ago, I got really curious about the idea of Octavia Butler and social justice. And um, our friend Kat, who is helping produce this um, podcast for us, Kat was there and a lot of other people were there, but we did a workshop at the Allied Media um, Conference where we talked about all of Octavia's works and what social justice lessons were in them. And it was invigorating. Like it felt like there was lightning and firecrackers in the room. Like everybody was just like, holy smokes, we are onto something. And... Um, that kept growing, um, eventually led to the, com- the collaboration of Octavia's Brood with Walida E. Marisha, which, was, which is an anthology that is a collection of short stories from people who do social justice work. And really drawing on this idea of, you know, Octavia Butler really used fiction as a way to examine and critique and analyze and dream about what's happening now. And you know, what do the people who are trying to change the world now see? What can they feel into? How can they be profit? Emergent strategy is also deeply tied in and from the roots of Octavia Butler's work and this idea that God is change, change is the constant force that we need to be in right relationship with. How do we move from that place? So I want to give a little more of a, um, just a picture of what's happening where we are right now. So we're in my apartment in Detroit. So we're going to record today and we're going to get a few things down and then we're going to be in a conversation, an emergent space of what this podcast is and can be. So we're inviting you to come on a journey with us where we will be looking at the parables, starting with the parable of the sower, chapter by chapter, and really pulling out, you know, first, what is a summary of this? What's, what happens in this chapter? 
what are some of the major political themes that are important for people who are trying to create change in the world to actually grab onto, uplift, and hold. And then we're going to give questions for each one that you can work with if you're in community with others or work with for yourself so that you can actually engage this as a transformational text. Um, I want to protect our right for nonlinearity. I want to protect our right to spoilers. Um, So do not listen to this podcast expecting us to protect you from the content of these books. It's all about the books. It's all about the books. So We're not in a studio. We're in my front room. We're drinking peppermint tea. We just ate some shawarma. And (laughs) (laughs) I just want folks to know, you know, we're sitting here. We both have our books out. We are being nerdy Octavia Butler scholars. Um, If you want to have your book with you, you can. So... I'm sure at some point we'll also develop some much faster, easier intro to this. Like, I'm Tushi and I'm Adrian. We're cute. And we love Octavia or something. But yeah, we'll let that emerge too. <laughs> theme song, theme song. Ooh. Okay. Ready? Yes. Let's begin. Yes. Do you want to read how this book begins? Yes. 2024. Prodigy is, at its, ex- at its essence, adaptability and persistence positive obsession. Without persistence, what remains is an enthusiasm of the moment. Without adaptability, what remains may be channeled into destructive fanaticism. Without positive obsession, there is nothing at all. Earthseed, the books of the living, Lauren Oya Alamina. Oh, all right. So I think this is such a power punch opening of anything in the entire world. But particularly, um, I imagine young Octavia writing this work and knowing like this character had been with her for a while. And that rather than starting with like, here's my world or here's something else, she's like, this is the essence. This is a book that at its essence, there is philosophy that you can grab onto and you need to contend with. And I feel like this way of starting the book, to me, everything else kind of emerges from this. Like, what is your positive obsession Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first questions I wrote down that I was like, this is something that actually centers a life and guides a life. Mm-hmm. If you have not found your positive obsession, it's very easy to land in a, in a life cycle of critique and hopelessness. Right. And if you have found your positive obsession, it's almost impossible not to have a satisfying life. You know, I feel like once you know, then all the things that you're doing are building up that obsessive place. So before we turn the page... Would you say you have a positive obsession? I'm obsessed with music. Yeah. Like, completely. Yes. Yeah. What does it look like? What does it feel like to be positively obsessed with music the way you are? As it just rotates everything around it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I don't know, one time I did this photo shoot, and it was a bunch of artists in New York for, um, I can't remember the photo- photographer's book, but you were supposed to write something true. Yes. And then, you know, he took your picture. Yeah. And so I wrote, um, you know, I don't do anything if music isn't in it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, literally, It's that's literally true. true. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, beautiful. Uh-huh. Mm. I would say, it's interesting. I've been, I feel like my positive obsession for a long time has been liberation. Like this mm-hmm. idea of not a surface level liberation, but like, what does it actually feel like from within to be a free being? Mm. And um, and if you have been socialized or trained or marginalized or broken away from 
from that natural thing that all children know of yes. oh, I'm just free, I'm just myself. How do you return to it? And then how does that recovery of liberation change what's possible as a collective body? And I'm interested now to see if that continues to be, right, or what the next date state of that is because mm. to me emergent strategy and pleasure activism are a lot about that it's like here's two terms of what i know it means to liberate yourself towards collective towards the collective as opposed to you know i'm free and i don't have to be accountable to anything mm. i feel like there's this other freedom that's like oh i'm free to be in right relationship to be in a belonging that doesn't contort myself um, to be in a biodiverse system, like that feels very compelling to me. So, all right, we're in good shape. We're in good shape. <laughs> so turning the page, we get another earth seed verse here. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. <sighs> I have this tattooed on my body, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. uh, down my arm, and I, I do look at it all the time, mm -hmm. and it just helps me like remind, I'm like, oh yeah, this day is not going the way I wanted it to, that's also God, you know, right. um, someone is sick in my life, this is also God, like that's the force, mm -hmm. how can I show up in a divine way for it? But I wanted to take a moment here for people who are trying to create change to talk about the part that I think most people don't like and don't want to lean into, which is all that you change changes you. Right. So in movement, we're really oriented around like what needs to be changed as an external directive, right? Those people who are bad and who are ignorant and regressive and capitalist and patriarchal and like those people over there, they need to change. And we need to touch that and change that and like change the world away from them. And this line troubles me, troubles me, you know, when I think about the KKK, when I think about Donald Trump, when I think mm -hmm. about these things that I'm like, that needs to change. And how, how would this thing that I would touch and change, change me? Um, can I surrender? Can I be humble enough to be in that dance still? Yeah, that is like a, a real PowerPoint. And when we sing it on stage, you know, all of those things flow so well. But when I think about it, that's actually the one, all that you change changes you. That's really on my mind a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, you know, as we are thinking about, you know, the days that we're in right now, um, we couldn't get here without our participation. Yeah. And I think, like I always think all the time, Toshi, what do you need to change? <laughs> what can you change? Yeah, that's um, right. You know, about your participation in, in these systems. And when you look at, like, the movements with young people, the climate crisis movement and the uh, movement to, you know, take guns out of everybody's hands so they don't be walking into school and shooting, shooting people. Shooting yes. But they're, like, so clear. They're, like, this has to stop, and this has to stop. That's right. And this has to stop. That's and right. there, it's not any, like, negotiation around it. They're like, you have to change this behavior. Yeah. You know, you can't have this and have that. Yeah. Like, that's why they haven't stopped, because you haven't changed anything. Yeah. And we haven't changed anything. So if you're doing exactly the same thing you were doing as you lived, like, three years ago, 
you haven't changed anything about the climate crisis. That's right. Same stuff in your house. And you go to the same store, yeah. you buy the same products, you do the same thing. Like, you fly the same amount. You fly the same. You haven't, yeah. you know, you, you, you drive the same kind of vehicle. Yeah. Like you haven't done anything. Yeah. You know, I think there's also so much of like being able to theoretically see changes. Mm. I think we create barriers for ourselves so we won't have to change. Right. So I think, I, you know, I do this on a personal level. Where I'm like, oh, next week I'm going to do this different thing with my food Yeah. next week because this week I'm traveling. <laughs> you know, this week I have holidays. This week is my mom's birthday or whatever. I come, you know, there's always something I was like, this week is and now. Now is it's too hard to change. Right. But in the future, I will be able to change. And I think we do that on a collective grand scheme, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where we're like, oh, when we get this policy, then we'll all change together. Yeah. And I love this quote, and I love the way that Octavia approaches this because it feels like she understood. Um, and I was, I'm like, how did she know all this? Like She really understood that it's only what we're practicing, what yeah. we're willing to touch that yeah. can change, and then we have to be willing to be in that, that transmutation together. And I think that, to me, if you take nothing else away from the podcast or from the text, it's that piece. It's that, like, you have to be willing to get in and get dirty (laughs) and get in and be changing, not just Mm. expecting other things to change or the world to change somehow without you ever changing. And Grace Lee Boggs talked about this too. Like, there's a way that in movement space we can get so tied to staying the same way, like taking a position and being like, this is the right position. Right. And not being willing to grow and evolve as our understanding of issues and themes grows and evolves. And so she's like, oh, I thought it was radical not to change. And then I learned it was the most radical thing I could do was to change, to keep growing and responding and changing to the changing conditions, to the more knowledge, to the different horizon. Yeah, and you really can see that generationally. Yeah. And you can, and it shows up in this book. Yes. You know, very much so. Um, and also, you know, when you're in your practice of living, you're activating change all the time. Yeah. It's just that you might be not activating in the direction you want to be going or something. Well, that's, I love that piece too. Cause I'm like, you're always, you know, I say that you're always practicing something. Yeah. You might be practicing what you want. You might be practicing what you don't want and you're always changing things. You might be changing in ways that continue to bring you back to the familiar. Mm -hmm. But a question I have for you. So for me, when I read this, this idea of God is change. Mm -hmm. I think it was, you know, I, I, my memory of it, it jolted me and it was like the first time that I can remember someone suggesting to me that God was not a being like a person, right. Right. Or nature, you know, but like even with God being nature, it was like God is in nature. Like this God being person flows also through nature. somehow. (laughs) like the way Santa Claus goes from roof to roof, you know, like God is (laughs) moving through the trees or something. Right. And I remember this in reading this, God is change. Mm. God is change. Like that that idea was such a groundbreaking shift to me. What did you grow up thinking God was? Uh, you know, my mom was real cool with us cuz she really didn't make us have to deal with God like unless we wanted to. Nice. So she was like, you know, when you get grown and you figure out what you need, you'll do it. Um, yeah. but she really like uh Do you want more tea? Oh, sure. Thank you. She really took us to a lot of places where we could experience um, spirituality Uh on different platforms. And then, of course, 
Um, her father was a Baptist minister. My mom grew up in church. My my grandma, when we went for the summer, took us to church. And, um, and of course, I fell in love with music. And I loved a lot uh-huh. of the messages. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there was a song my aunts used to sing, um, you know, tell it to the great Jehovah. He's the one. How's it go? I can't sing this song. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm not remember. <laughs> but I just remember it was a great song, and I just remember <laughs> like we talk about like you know how great how great God is, and uh-huh. you know He fed all these people two little fishes and five loaves That's of bread. Right. He turned water to wine. That's right. And I was like, that is awesome. That's lit. That's that lit. That was super lit. I Jesus want, was on point. Yeah, yeah, let's let's have these right. people in our lives. <laughs> you know, so I think I've always kind of felt this idea that um that God was awesome and the uh I didn't do God as a him I, I right away as a little person I was like she's amazing oh, you know wow. so if you hear me sing songs with God yes, it's, it's, it's always, always a she, she. um <laughs> and uh you know and I always enjoyed that and I always enjoyed how much um this could be a tangible yeah. Reality yeah. and it could be a mystical and yeah. spiritual unknown um universe reality. And uh I think one of the other things is just how many people were like uh in my life, especially the elders when I was growing up, would be like, you know, I don't have a husband, I don't have this, yes, I don't have a friend, but I have Jesus or I have That's the right. Lord. You know, so there's this way that you get kept company. Yes. By something, you know, as someone, um, a spiritual sense of yourself yeah. that you can't actually contain. That's right. You know, which I really, really, um, I really love. I love that too. Like, I feel like since I was young, I've been contending with, you know, there were parts of how God was presented to me. You know, I grew up in a church that my grandfather was an evangelical Christian and, um, but love, loving with it, you know, like enjoyable with it, amusing and charming with it. But it was still like, you know, if you talk to him, he's just like, well, how's your relationship with God? You know, what's going on with that? <laughs> Let me tell you about the 7,000 promises that Christ made to us. Yeah. And singing was in relationship to that. And my parents growing up, you know, we were always in non-denominational churches. My dad was in the army. So we were just kind of like in the non-denominational Christian space, mm. we, you know, wherever we would land. And some of them had good choirs. So music for me was almost the beginning of belief for me. Mm. Like when I was like, I'm questioning what I'm hearing from the pulpit, but I can't question this thing that I'm feeling when we're singing together. Right. And um, yeah, I have like so many memories of of singing both in choirs and soloing or whatever, but just being like, that's God. Like the, this feeling that they're ta- these, these lyrics are speaking about of something so much greater than yourself that you surrender to. I'm into that. Yes. And, uh, but it was still very much a person. And around 13, I got baptized and I was really in, like, I was like, Jesus is dope. Y'all like, <laughs> I really like, I was, I was like, I can see you. this, I was excited. I was like, wait, so Jesus is like really into poor people. Like, you know, there was just a way that I was like, Jesus just accepted everyone. This is so beautiful. Like there was something that I could really, I didn't get the rest of God, you know, like a lot of the rest of the Bible. Right. Although I've always been also very moved by the Jonah story, the story of Jonah and the whale, and this idea of 
to me, that's how faith happens, you know, getting swallowed by something larger than yourself, feeling lost, but being found, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of God as change was a profound reshaping of my relationship to the divine in the world. And I want to presence before we move into like her dream, her opening dream, Alexis Pauline Gums, because Alexis, I feel like, takes this and she's like, if God is change and we are all making change, then we are all God. Like Mm. we are all God force moving in the world. And you can feel that maybe sometimes when you're with Alexis, that she is being God and interacting with you as God. (laughs) You know, like she's (laughs) very much like, this is the sacred moment. Yeah. She's outstanding. She's amazing. Yes. Um, So Octavia is such a genius that she gives us these two, pieces that let us know basically the whole book the 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 ideas are going to be contending with in this book mm-hmm. and then she dives us in to a dream our character lauren olamina is having a recurring dream um and she's having it on her birthday it's her birthday she and her and her father had the same birthday um and they're heading into the celebration, but she tells us about this recurring dream. And can you tell us a little bit about what happens in this yeah, dream um, of hers? Well, this, this dream is uh, the reason why I put this book down the first time I had it. Yep. I was just like, no, 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 no. it's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what happens. <laughs> yeah. um, of course, I... I, you picked it. I, back I picked up. it back up. Yeah. <laughs> but not. It took Toni Morrison and Princeton and my mom. That's right. Yeah, but I did pick it I mean, back up. If something it takes Toni Morrison to do, then that's an okay thing too. It is an okay thing. <laughs> um, but she has this reoccurring dream, and what I love about this whole sequence is there's a part where she says, "Dream lessons." Yes. And in the dream, you know, she's she's learning to fly, and um, she's you know. She's she's inside of 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 a, a a place learning to fly, and then there's just a burning wall. Yes. And she has this dream over and over again, and I think she is like, as she's having the dream, she's actually learning how to better um, cont- contend with this wall. Yeah. And it's a a thing of fighting her fear around like trying to wake herself up. Yes. Um, and occasionally when she has this dream, um, she gets to what she calls the second half of the dream. Yep. And when she gets to the second half of the, the, the dream, she's in the, the darkness. And it's, uh, it's something we sing, darkness brightening um, in the stars. Yes. And I love this so much. <sighs> I love this so much. I love the whole thing. I love the thing about, like, here's a scary dream. It's horrible. Yeah. It's awful. Like, I, you know, I don't necessarily want to be having these dreams. Yeah. But she actually feels like she leans into them. Yeah. And, you know, we should say that she's 15 years old. Yes. <laughs> she's 15 years old. And she leans into the image. 15 in 2024, yes. which, you know, I think for those of us who are fans me are like, that means that someone is 11 right now. Yes. <laughs> that is our, our little Lauren, right? Yeah. And I yeah. have to say in L.A. when we were talking about Lauren, you know, someone said, Lauren Alamina is alive right now. And yeah, no, I'm like, we my were, nibbling is 11 right now. And I'm just yeah. like, holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. These are the people, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So this idea that you can 
be um, in relationship to yourself in your mind and um, challenge yourself in uh, horrible conditions that keep showing up in your mind and actually get good at like, you know, overstanding or understanding them and then make your way through them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And it reminds me, I had a high school teacher who told me, you know, when I had scary things happen in a dream, turn around and face them. Yes. And, and that, you know, and it was true. Every time I turn around and face them, like, I get a new opportunity. Yeah. That's you know, right. but I'm not sure I could, like, deal with the wall on fire. Yeah. yeah. I mean, also, it's like how things feel and seem in a dream. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, how many times do I have to dream this before I recognize it as symbolic? Right. And I think this, you know, I'm someone who has struggled with my mental health my whole adult life. But one of the things that slips for me is reality and non-reality. Hmm. And um, and mostly I'm in reality. And a lot of times when I'm in non-reality, it seems to really work for people and be fine. <laughs> but one of the things that's been interesting as an adult has been able being able to say, oh, that's not necessarily real. Like it feels real and it sounds real. And it I think it's real. But I'm not sure that it actually is happening for other people in the same way right now. And I love this because to me, her dream is one of the ways we can understand the whole story of this, um, the whole arc of the parables and everything she's feeling inside of her, which now when I look at it, I'm like, obviously every single you know word of Earthseed is so true. Mm-hmm. But I love that she writes it as like a 15 year old who's like, I don't know that anyone else is ever going to know that this is believable or true but this is my dream and my dream keeps coming back to me the questions that I generated for this chapter the first one was actually what are your recurring dreams and asking more and more people to start to pay attention to are there dreams that are coming up again and again are there patterns that are recurring in your life patterns that are recurring even in your imagination even in your daydreams are there things that keep coming up And with this idea that there's something that can happen in our collective consciousness at the level of dreams that we should be paying attention to. Another question I had here was, what is your relationship to the stars? Because a lot of this dream is her, she's having a conversation with her aunt, right? No, her um, stepmom. With her stepmom, yes. So she's having this conversation with her stepmom, and her stepmom is basically like, you don't know what it used to be like, like to be in a city you would be basically blocked, the light of the city would block out the light of the stars and you wouldn't see all this. And it's such a beautiful way of letting us know what has shifted and what time it is. But her mom, her stepmom is like, I wish we couldn't see all these stars. I wish we had those city lights back and mm-hmm. like that things were normal again. And it's such, to me, it's just one of those moments where we talk about intergenerational longings Yeah, that I feel like so much when I think about like, core organizing belief patterns right Mm -hmm. because i'm like oh there's people who are like we need more jobs we need to get back to like a time when everyone had more jobs and then there's other folks who are like no we need to relinquish the idea of work in that way and like shift into how do we be in community structures right and those two people are having a conversation around environmentalism versus building an economy that has plentiful work right and it happens at this intergenerational level or environment period right like Oh, we need to be in a in a situation, you know, I think young people are like we need to stop all the mess right now yes. so that we can be in right relationship with the planet. 
And the fact that there are folks in other generations who are like, oh, but one of the signs of success is new buildings, big buildings, new developments, new fancy homes with new fancy dishwashers and like whatever they dreamed of economically achieving when they were in their young, mm-hmm. young years, right? Um, and I feel that with my parents. You know, I love my parents. And they have this home that I'm like, oh, your home is this fancy house. Is that what you need, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, not necessarily, but it's what we dreamed. And how is that in right relationship to now our dreams? Yeah. Right. Yeah. To all of that. Um, I think the thing about Lauren and I think the thing about Octavia starting the book this way is it's almost doesn't get to be a conversation. Yeah. It's it's like not really a conversation from her point of view. No. Like she's already arriving to the station. Yes. And she's, you know, and her her whole thing is is to like gather the information she needs and to gather the yes. the things she has to have with her because she's already seeing so much the direction forward and she just doesn't at this point in this first chapter she doesn't have all of the she doesn't have all of the the, the ingredients and she doesn't yeah. exactly know like what to call it and she doesn't you know she just isn't she isn't in her place yet but yeah she's not asking permission no about with anybody and in fact um it's lauren's birthday and it's also her father's birthday that's right and she's 15 he's 55 um and i love this sweet kind of connection with Corey, um her stepmother um where they're washing clothes yeah and you know and they're thinking about they're they're having a conversation about the lights and um, and then it ends with Lauren saying, "I'd rather have the stars." And Corey says, "The stars are free." Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yes yes, 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 yes. All right, so that takes us through chapter one. I think for folks who are reading along with us or listening along with us, um, those questions: What are your recurring dreams? What is your relationship to the stars? And actually, it would be good, especially if you're reading this in a group, to also ask yourselves, what is your current relationship to change? Because something that's unveiled in the dream, right away we know that Lauren is someone who is like, I turn and face and I move through and I I move towards change. Mm -hmm. So we know that right away. And it's a big part of the foundation of everything else that happens, why she feels ready for what comes later is because she has this orientation to change. So ask yourselves, ask yourself, either way, what is your relationship to change? There's a new world coming. Everything gonna be turning over. Everything gonna be turning over. Where you gonna be standing when it comes? There's a new world coming. Thank you for listening to our show. Octavius Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and Adrian Marie Brown. It's produced by Kat Aaron. Music for Octavius Parables podcast. Always see the stars written and performed by Toshi Regan. 
There's a New World Coming, performed by the cast and musicians of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, the opera, lead vocalist Shana Smalls, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, with additional lyrics by Toshi Regan, both based on the novel Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. And our show art is by Krista Franklin. You can find us on Twitter at OParables and sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash OParables. Please share this podcast with anyone you think it would be useful for. So be it. See to it.